All right, good morning, church. Why don't you grab a piece of ground and take a seat? I'm glad you came. It does a body good to see us all together in one place, even though you're in the sun and I'm in the shade. Praise God, and that's a good thing. Um, so four days from now is my favorite holiday. Uh, it is Thanksgiving. Yeah, we need a Thanksgiving, don't we? Yeah, the whole thing is we're going to gather with our friends and our family and the people that are close to us, and we're going to talk about or think about the blessings of this year. And I know when I say that, it sounds what a little bit maybe weird because you might have a hard time in 2020 finding or recalling the blessings of the year. And so uh, that's kind of our attempt is to try to get us close to the blessings of God. Um, you look at this year and you have a COVID situation. You have masks or whatever the tensions are with that. You have an election and a division in our country. There's violence. There's, you know, there's trouble in our church. There's all sorts of things that we experience in this year, in the last period of time. Um, I know, though, that you're smart enough. If I said, hey, count your blessings, name them one by one, we'd do our songs. We'd be able to do all that work and start listing out the predictable things but let me just ask you, do you feel like it? You know when your heart is kind of worked over in not the best ways, and then someone says to you to have a good attitude, and you go, I don't know where to get that. You know, I don't just have that on tap. It's like not good. And typically our best attitudes are connected to our best um, experiences. And so what do you do when you don't have the experiences to drive your attitudes? Um, it's interesting, David said this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually, continually be in my mouth. And some of you might say, well, that's good for David, but he never lived through 2020. So <laughs> if he was here, he'd sing a different tune. Um, yeah, but you know his story enough to know that's just not true. David was a hated and a hunted man for a season of his life. He has major failure and major consequence. So David knew trouble. He could talk about trouble. And even so, even though that's his experience, he wrote this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. How does David write a song like that? Could you write a song like that? Could you consider it? What did he know? What did he know that you might have forgotten or it's hard to remember? Well, I think he knows what, what the apostle Paul knew and what I want to talk to you about today. And I know you've heard this many times before, but just listen to it as if you're hearing it for the very first time. So take all the conditions of all the disappointments and all the tensions that you experienced in this last year and then listen to someone say this to you for the first time. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Does that sound strange to you? All things? I, I know to many of us this is a very familiar passage, um, but I have to tell you that it's probably one of the most misunderstood parts of Paul's teaching. Some people uh, hear it um, 
kind of like that positive thinking verse, you know? Like, how do you just get over what's obviously a problem and you just got to think differently? You know, they, they treat it as if it was Bobby McFerrin and, and Bob Marley got together and wrote a song, right? Don't worry, be happy, because every little thing is going to be all right. That's how, you know, they wrote this thing, and that's Paul's version of that. Um, like, just give it enough time. It'll work out. It'll work out in your favor, and you will be happy, ultimately, because that's what that verse means to me. Well, I don't have to tell you that's not true. And if I just disappointed you, I'm sorry, but it's truth. So lean in for a few minutes, and hopefully you'll find even the thing, the good thing that God is saying through Paul to us. Um, if you're honest when you read that verse for the first time, or see it for the first time, you, you have two fundamental problems with Paul. You have, you have this doubt about what he says, and then you just have an outright disagreement with what he says. Uh, Paul says, um, and we know. We know, for real. I don't know. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I doubt. You, you might hear that verse and go, well, I hope. You might look at your world and go, I hope it goes the right way. I hope it equals this. I hope it ends up there. But do you know? So you might have doubt, you might have disagreement that all things work for the good, good. I totally disagree that all things work for my good. How does sickness work for my good? How does violence, culture blowing itself apart, how is that good? How is the tensions you experience in relationships and family, how does that ever turn out to good? I, I disagree, Paul, that all things are included in this good equation of God. I don't, I don't see it that way. I certainly don't see this year that way. Well, our intention today, uh, the reason why I hope you came on this uh, Thanksgiving week, the reason why we do all this stuff is to push back on our tendency uh, to not see the good that God is doing because he's always doing good. Come on, give me an amen. amen. He's always doing good. And if you're not careful, you will serve the turkey and whatever else you eat and you'll skip Thanksgiving. Am I right? Okay, so we need to lean into this a little bit. I've heard this passage taught my whole life. Again, a pastor's kid. I've heard a thousand sermons. I've heard Tom preach it. And so everything I have to say comes from other people. So, and I'm certain you have these things too. But let's just lean into this and, and be really specific. If you're going to understand what Paul's saying and to have it actually affect the way you feel, because I think that's why he writes that verse for us, is that we got to understand a few things about it. First of all, I want you to notice the subject of the sentence. Because most people read that sentence and go, and they just hover in on the good, you know? God causes all things to work together for the good, and you're all, oh, I'm so inclined to good. That's the point of it, and that's not the subject of the sentence. The subject is God. God causes all things. We know that God does that. If you really want to discover Thanksgiving, then you have to embrace his sovereignty. Which, when trouble happens, we kind of want to go, oh, that can't be a part of his control, right? You know, some believe that life is sort of a crapshoot, karma. I mean, things just kind of work out in weird ways. Um, and if you wanted to see God in something, you would have to see God in doing the good things that you perceive to be good. And you go, okay, well, God showed up and he rescued that story. He rescued me in here. Or he gave me this, that. Or he, he met my needs here. The good parts, the things that I de define as good, that's when God arrives. But, but we don't see him in the bad. And clearly that is in Paul's mind 
as well in Romans 8. So let me just get our heads around his sovereignty and why it matters in this subject of, of seeing our life and the situations in his hand. Um, if he's not sovereign over the bad as well, guess what? Then he's not sovereign at all. You know, there's, a, there's the reality of, of all the pieces of how you could see this sovereign story of God working out in all the trouble of your life. And if somehow you think he doesn't know, that he isn't close enough to your story, that he can't have enough perspective, that he's not omniscient in knowing, then, then he's, he's unaware. What happens to someone who's unaware? They can't rescue, right? What about, what about having uh, the, the lack of sovereignty in his power to actually be able to do something or affect something? Or ultimately, what if, what if he wasn't loving, sovereign in, in his love? I mean, he just was indifferent to us. It's really important that we understand the only answer to 2020 or any version of life like 2020 is a sovereign God. There is no other answer. So Paul's point isn't to say that what happens and everything that happens is good or that evil or suffering or trouble is ultimately good or that everything is just going to work out fine or that you're going to understand everything God is doing and why he's doing it. It's not even that answer. What Paul is doing is just showing that hanging over every head of his children is a sign, sovereign God at work. That's what he's doing. He's forming us and working, and he's always good. There's another thing you need to understand about this verse and try to get clarity on it is you've got to keep your head around the big picture of what Paul is saying. There is a phrase that he says in there um, that maybe we just gloss over, but it goes like this. God causes all things to work together. That's two words in, in our English, one word in, in the original language, and it's the word where we get synergy. The point that Paul is saying is, is this wonderful reality is that you put more elements, more than two, just a bunch of elements together that form something new that couldn't happen on their own, right? Something new. So as an illustration, um, I, I don't think there's anything good about sitting down to a bowl of sugar or just to go into the kitchen and grab a, you know, a, 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 just an entire chunk of butter out of the fridge and start to go to work, or go into the spice cabinet and grab that bottle of vanilla extract and just chug away, or, you know what I'm saying? But you put those pieces plus others together, and you mix it, and you stick it in an oven under heat, and what do you get? You get a cake, and then that's good. You get kind of a, a funny way to see the pieces that you wouldn't perceive as part helpful and put them together in God's hands and it turns into something like that. God takes, listen, every circumstance and he mixes that together. Every circumstance. This one, we went and call this day is a wonderful day. You know, those of you who are sitting in the shade, it's more wonderful than others. It's a wonderful day. So glad we can be together. And then all the other stuff. The trouble is also the ingredients of God. It's what he's doing. It's how it works. Some of us stand so close to the trouble, though, we can't see the big picture. Isn't that true? Like when the stories are hurt, 
and they hurt so bad, and they're so like poignant, and they're so like crisis oriented. You know, you're at DEFCON 5, and everything's screaming in your head, and you're standing this close to the trouble, and all you can see is the trouble, and you can't see the big picture. You know this, it's virtually impossible to sort out each and every circumstance or each and every particular individual circumstance or event and know the why. You'll never look at one and know the why of the total. We don't have that capacity. Why 2020? I don't know. Why would God allow a pandemic? Why would there be so much tension in our culture that even the church would fracture? I'm not smart enough for that. But if we isolate the stories, it makes no sense, and so we can't see a purpose in them, so we conclude, we assume, therefore, what? There must be no purpose in them. But that's just wrong. There is a purpose in all things. If we back up, guess what you see? you'll see the ingredients. You, you'll see, you will see stuff, and let's just put all the garbage in the stuff pile, and then you add a little time, and then you believe that God is sovereign doing a good thing, and we'll talk about that in a second, and then you have a perspective. You get the big picture. And then we arrive where Paul does, that God is doing a good thing in us and for us, and, by the way, that could happen no other way. Like, there is another option. You can't pick another road to these things because these are perfectly the things that the sovereign God wants for us. Perhaps you remember the story of Joseph, you know, good young man, hated by his family, sold into slavery, right? And even there, he's trying to succeed and doing well until he's falsely accused and he's in prison. Remember this whole story. And what God had in mind was that God was going to use even that unfair circumstance to rescue and deliver for his people. And then you end up at the end of Joseph's life and when his brothers are in terror in front of their brother because of what they've done, he says, yeah, 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 what you meant for evil, what? God meant for good. Do you think Joseph had any clue on day one? Day two? Nah. He needed life. And that's sort of what is part of the ingredients of coming to the conclusion that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, right? You're going to understand this verse, and let me give you one other thing. You need to understand what Paul means by the word good. Because I, I don't know, uh, most of us instinctively think about good, we think kind of, well, I guess, what's normal. Good is healthy. Good is happy. Good is great relationships. Good is not struggling. Good is, you know, the cowboys winning. Clearly that's not God's definition of good, right? Come on now. It's misery. Well, if you want to understand God's definition of, of good, let me keep reading. This is Romans 8, 28, and now 29, and you're going to get definition of good. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now listen. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Did you hear that? There you have it. That's God's definition of good. To do whatever it takes to change you and me from what we are into who Jesus is. 
That is the good work that God is doing to transform us into Jesus. And therefore, and this is where the math gets a little hard for us, therefore, anything and everything that will take us to the conformity into Jesus, he's going to do. He's going to do. Even if he has to deal with the good things that we have in our life. If that is in the way of being conformed, he'll, he'll deal with that too. If success is in the way between you and how God wants to shape you into the image of Jesus, I can almost predict that somewhere you're going to have a stagger. If you, if you think that ultimately just having independence and freedom and, and being happy and financially, you know, in a great, great place and you don't need to be even considering the things of God or how Christ wants you to serve or love, and I can almost predict that somewhere in your future you're going to have to look at a challenge. Just be honest about this. When do you learn the most? Just be really honest. If we're talking about you becoming like Jesus, when do you experience most of your intensity in that area? Isn't it when it's rough? I mean, maybe I'm alone here, but isn't it when it's hard? I think it is. When do you trust the most? When do you pray the hardest? When do you lean into God? When do you sit up at night and think? When it's, when it's trouble, right? It's not easy when you're in a crowd of friends at a party. When you're absolutely alone, you pray. When you're healthy and you're planning a vacation, I don't need to pray about that. I got that one wired. When you're sick in a bed, you pray. When you're confident and you're certain and your steps are very wide, and very sturdy, when you're not, you pray. You're quiet. You listen. There's a word that we uh, use around here, this idea of brokenness. You know what brokenness is? When you run out of you. That's a good thing. Do you see it? Do you see what God is doing? Where do you feel the stress? I'll tell you where the, you feel the stress. You feel it because we all want a different good. I want a different version of good. I want the happy, happy one, the one that doesn't stress my life. But here's what Paul tells us and what we already know, that his good is good and it's way better than yours. Yeah. I'm gonna give you one last thing and then we're gonna sing and you'll get out of the sun. You need to understand that this promise that Paul is bringing to us isn't a promise for everyone. And again, remind you what the verse says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, the good of all things that God is doing is for those who worship Jesus. Okay, so I don't know where you stand with the question of do you worship Jesus, but it would not surprise me at all that somebody here doesn't. And I'm really glad you are, that you're here. This reality that, that you are 
kind of seeing and hearing what we're talking about, the sovereign God, this God who does good, who can take all this mess and do something better than what I can perceive about it. I, I get that that can sound kind of strange to you, but if you're here today and by your own admission, you say, yeah, I don't, I don't worship Jesus. I don't see it that way. Well, I'm gonna tell you what you already have that you just kind of take for granted. God is still sovereign over you too. Just because you deny him doesn't mean he's not in control. That's one thing. The other thing, he's still good to you, even if you're not to him. I mean, the Bible talks about these things. The theologians call it common grace, or they talk about the benevolence of God, the kindness of God, that he is just keeping the sun in the sky and keeping this weather the way it is and keeping the grass to grow and your kids to be healthy and all the things you just take for granted that are part of life and living. Well, God is still doing that work and holding that work together by the word of his power. He is sovereign and he is good, even to you if you reject him. That's true. But there is no way you're ever gonna know the good of all things that Paul talks about here unless you know Jesus. You'll just assume good things, but you won't know where they come from or who holds them together without Jesus. For you, good has to mean having life work out for you. Like that word has to be defined that way because there's nothing else, right? If there is no Jesus, if there is no one sovereign over bad stuff, then life has to work out. In fact, this is all you get. Think about it. If there is no creator, if there is nothing like sin and a savior, if you're absolutely on your own and then annihilation, then this is as good as it's gonna get. In essence, it's heaven. It only goes down from here. And by the way, here's what you already know. Um, even if you deny Jesus, you still have trouble. You still have problems. You still have pain and suffering. And now what do you do? What do you do if there is not a sovereign one over those things? What do you do? What does our world do? You medicate it. You buy a different one. You get another spouse, get another person, get persons. You just have to do stuff because this is as good as it gets. Now, there's something else I want to be super clear about that even believers confuse in this little thought, and that is this, that we see the good that God does for those who love God as a condition, not a description, and then this can mess us up too. In other words, if having God work all things for our good is for those who love him, then you do the math. Then you better be loving him all the time. Now look at me, church, for a second. You don't. You know you don't. Like, how do we define the word love unless it's the optimum? Like, how do you know it unless you're talking about it in its precision? If I just say, are you okay with Jesus? Are you cool with Christ? Everyone would go okay with that. But now he says, love me. Well, you don't. Sometimes you're really impassioned and you love him and you're close and you read and you care and you feel like he does. And sometimes you're dry as toast. And you know you are. You hear someone give you an answer about the kingdom or points to the scriptures for you and you go, yeah, 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 I'm busy. Every single heart in this place, including my own, goes through seasons where our faith is dry and cold and worn out. Now what do you do? 
If the good that God is doing is for those who love him and you choose to say by your own admission that I'm not always there, what does that mean? Well, does that mean he can't do everything for our good and won't do it? That's not true. The love Paul is talking about is the one time, once and for all act of God's sovereign love for people. You love him and I love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We're talking about the elective love of God and the sovereign love of God and the graceful love of God for his people. This one time act. Paul is not giving us the combination code of how to have everything just work out just perfect for you. He's simply stating a fact for those who follow Jesus. Watch this. Strong ones and weak ones. Those who are devoted and those who wander. Those of you who are saintly in your pursuits and those of you who struggle with sin. He's talking about this being true for us. God is the pursuer. God is the actor. He's the subject of the sentence. He changes heart. He loves with an everlasting love. And he takes this mess. Listen to me, this mess. And maybe 2020 is just child's play compared to the mess you've had in your life. He can take that mess and this mess and he does amazingly good things with it. And that's why David could say something like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. A person who sees God sovereign over the story, that his version of good is your transformation, and that he holds on to us as he shapes us in all the mess, that person will be able to sing that song. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this reminder. One we're uh, obviously familiar with, but also one that we need. That you are the cause of good. That you can take the mess and you can form even great things. So Father, we want to say thank you for that and worship you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.